Well, it's been a long time, hasn't it? And uh, I don't know about your memories of the lost world, but mine are mine are dim, almost as if it was a lost world, a time long ago when many of our freedoms and liberties were intact, when um, when we could, uh, you know, perhaps go to the pub and have a pint, when we could um, indulge ourselves in all sorts of um, hijinks and leisure activities which would take us hither and thither. But now, since we've been trapped within these four dull magnolia walls for so long, with July the 4th approaching, and why July the 4th should be the date when we in the UK unlock, is bizarre. You know, it almost tempts one to suggest that there's some kind of global synchronization going on. That took a long time to get out, didn't it? But, uh, you know, it is a, it's been a queer old time. And um, hello, everyone. I hope you're all well. Um, I genuinely, uh, you know, hope you are well. I'm afraid I've been... Uh, otherwise engaged with quite a lot of um, bits and bobs to do. So I haven't been able to do this. There was a point at which I was a little bit peaky, a little bit uh, under the weather, but not due to the dreaded or not so dreaded um, COVID, as it is called, I believe. Um, nothing to do with that. Just a little bit, a little bit peaky, you know, the way one is. I'm just going to have a drink of water now. I hope you don't mind. So thank you for those people who inquired after my health and well-being as i say i'm i'm all right yeah could be worse could be better could be worse but i'm i'm still here i'm still standing well sitting down and um looking at my new ipad isn't that nice i thought well i'll i have a very very old ipad i guess it must be the mark one and um it just wasn't updating apps and things so i thought you know what i'm not spending money out on Back in, back bacchanalian romps. Do I mean bacchanalian? Sounds wrong to me. Sounds wrong to my ear. Anyway, so yeah, I got this iPad, and then I thought, well, I'll get a pencil, one of these little digital pencils. I know, I'm rolling in money, you know, but I've always loved a gadget. Anyone who knows me, and there are at least three people in the world who do, um, I love a gadget, so I thought, oh, I'll get a little one of these stylus things to mark up my texts because I you know I do I do audiobooks and bits and bobs here and there so and that's what I've done so I'm sitting surrounded by I'm sure the cognoscenti cognoscenti would like to know what I'm recording into today which is a is on my desk it's not in my booth but it's on my desk and uh, I used to use an ID4 audient little my brain's really working well today. Drink water. USB audio interface. He said banging something into something. And um, instead, I'm using... I've returned to using a little thing that I really like. It's the Yamaha AG06 mixing console. Little white, cute little thing. Oh, I hate the word cute. Why did I use the word cute? Oh, that is so cute. Um... Chapter 5. Shall we push on? Chapter 5. Question. Now, if I sound lost during this halting stagger-through of the lost world, forgive me, I, you know, I've not uh, flicked back to listen to it, so, you know, it's as much a mystery to me as it may be to you. And, um, yeah, my iPad nearly went dark then, so I was just about to start under uh, the page. Question is the title to Chapter 5. What with the physical shocks incidental to my first interview with Professor Challenger and the mental ones which accompanied the second, I was a somewhat demoralised journalist 
by the time I found myself in Enmore Park once more. In my aching head, the one thought was throbbing, that there really was truth in this man's story, that it was of tremendous consequence, and that it would work up into inconceivable copy for the Gazette when I could obtain permission to use it. Now, this inconceivable copy, this is the fact that Challenger went on an expedition to South America to see some some shapes lumbering around on on the plateau was it was it that was there a photograph developed a sketch in crayon on the back of a serviette marked burger king rest in peace 2020 i don't know i can't really remember um there was some hint of some giant bulk lumbering about and um i've been accused of that at night uh, <laughs> because I have piled on the pounds, and they were not inconsiderable before the lockdown. So imagine what I'm like now, a sort of brontosaurus um, uh, with a waist. No, actually, a brontosaurus without a waist, and, um, you know, elasticated pants, in the American sense of pants. Moving on. So... A taxi cab was waiting at the end of the road, so I sprang into it and drove down to the office. McCardle was at his post as usual. Now, there was someone called Val McCardle when I went to drama school. I'm afraid I remember virtually nothing about her. A nice woman, I think, but I can't remember what she did. can't remember what I did. Well... Let's make him kind of north of Watford Gap. Well, he cried expectantly. Well, he cried expectantly. Yes, get some expectancy in your voice. And some expectoration as well. What may it run to? I'm thinking, young man, you have been in the wars. Don't tell me that he has assaulted you. We had a little difference at first. What a man it is. What did you do? Well... He became more reasonable, and we had a chat. But I got nothing out of him. Nothing for publication. I'm not so sure about that. Where the hell is this man from? You got a black eye out of him, and that's for publication. He sounds like a sheep farmer, not an editor of a Fleet Street periodical. You got a black eye out of him, and that's for publication. We can't have this reign of terror, Mr Malone. We must bring the man to his bearings. I'll have a leaderette on him tomorrow that will raise a blister. Oh, a leaderette. Like an usherette, a mini leader. I'll have a leaderette on him tomorrow that will raise a blister. Just give me the material, and I will engage to brand the fellow forever. Professor Munkhausen. How's that for an inset headline? Sir John Mandeville Redivivus. Cagliostro. All the impostors and bullies in history. I'll show him up for the fraud he is. No idea what I said just then. I wouldn't do that, sir. Why not? Because he is not a fraud at all. What? roared McArdle. You don't mean to say you really believe this stuff of his about mammoths and mastodons and great sea serpents? He spelt it serpents. So I tried to say it. Serpents? Well, I don't know about that. I don't think he makes any claims of that kind. But I do believe he has got something new. Then for heaven's sake, man, write it up. I'm longing to. But all I know he gave me in confidence, and on condition that I didn't. I condensed into a few sentences the professor's narrative. That's how it stands. McArdle looked deeply incredulous. "'Well, Mr Malone,' he said at last. "'What a ridiculous pantomimic Scotsman he is. "'Like every other pantomimic ridiculous Scotsman I've ever, I've ever vocalised. "'Well, Mr Malone, about this scientific meeting tonight, "'there can be no privacy about that anyhow. "'I don't suppose any paper will want to report it.' 
for Waldron has been reported already a dozen times, and no one is aware that Challenger will speak. We may get a scoop, possibly vanilla with a flake, maybe crushed nuts. We may get a scoop from the Asherette. No, you won't. We may get a scoop, newspaper, jargon, if we are lucky. You'll be there in any case, so you'll just give us a pretty full report. I'll keep space up to midnight. My day was a busy one, and I had an early dinner at the Savage Club. I nearly read that as the Sausage Club as it was approaching, but I'm glad I I recovered my... It's probably approaching supper time. I'm thinking there are half a dozen sausages in the fridge. <laughs> I'm obsessed with food these days, honestly. In this hot weather as well, you'd have thought I'd just be... No, oh, no, I've, I've peaked on my... I've peaked somewhere, nasty clip. I'll take that out later. Um, Sausage Club. Yeah, that would be nice, wouldn't it? With Tarp Henry. Tarp, that's funny. A funny Christian. I'm going to have a hot cough now. You you remember, I, I turn aside and I have a hacking cough. <coughs> Excuse me, past the, past the hydrochloroquine, hydroxychloroquine. Or should I be having some sort of steroid? You say steroid, I say steroid. So he was going to have dinner at the Sausage Club with Tarp Henry, short for Tarpaulin, and his uh, cousin two-man ridge tent Henry, to whom I have to whom I gave some account of my adventures. He listened with a sceptical smile on his gaunt face, and roared with laughter on hearing that the professor had convinced me. My dear chap, things don't happen like that in real life. People don't stumble upon enormous discoveries and then lose their evidence. Leave that to the novelists. The fellow is full of tricks, as the monkey house at the zoo. It's all bosh, but the American poet. He never existed. I saw his sketchbook. Challenger's sketchbook. You think he drew that animal? Of course he did. Who else? Well, then the photographs. There was nothing in the photographs. By your own admission, you only saw a bird. A pterodactyl. That's what he says. He put the pterodactyl into your head. Well, then, the bones. First one out of an Irish stew. Second one vamped up for the occasion. If you are clever and know your business, you can fake a bone as easily as you can a photograph. Well, that's true. I remember one of my hobbies as well as photography, was faking bones. There's a joke there somewhere, but uh, it eludes me at this family hour. If you are clever and know your business, you can fake a bone as easily as you can a photograph. I began to feel uneasy. And it also says in the text that I began to feel uneasy. Perhaps, after all, I had been premature in my acquiescence. Well, that can happen. Then I had a sudden happy thought. "'Will you come to the meeting?' I asked, injecting his voice with happiness. Tarpaulin Henry looked thoughtful, as did his cousin, Two-Man Ridgetent. "'He is not a popular person, the genial challenger,' I'm injecting his voice with gauntness, said he. "'A lot of people have accounts to settle with him, I should say. "'He is about the best hated man in London. "'If the medical students turn out there, if the medical students turn out, "'there will be no end of a rag.' A rag, a riot, a, a sort of jocular shenanigans, jocular uprisings, jocular boisterous royster-doister kind of behaviour. I don't want to get into a bear garden. I beg your pardon, I never promised you a bear garden. He doesn't want to get into one. And who would? You might at least do him the justice to hear him state his own case. Well, perhaps it's only fair, all right. I'm your man for the evening. When we arrived at the hall, we found a much greater concourse than I had expected. A line of electric browns, or brooms, browns, I think. Brooms? Let's, um, let's poke the iPad and get some sort of response from the dictionary. To display definitions, download the free dictionary. Well, I can't be bothered to do that. I can't be asked. A line of electric broom. Electric, you see, we've lost and gained so much. Lost, gained, lost. So they had electric brooms back then, batteries, 
run around on electric, and it's taken us another 120 years to get round to the get round to the um, illustrious Renault Zoe and other iterations of the battery-powered car. Only taken us 120 years to drain the. Um, I was going to say swamp to drain the. Um, fossil fuels from beneath the Earth's crust. Well, it's not beneath the crust, is it? But only taken us that long to drain the fuels and bomb the Libyans and Iraqis back into the Stone Age. Uh, is that a political point? I don't know. And, um, you know, basically uh, try and invade Venezuela and all those lovely places to take their jolly oil. And only when we've done that and run completely out will we be able to move on to, you know, plugging in a car outside our houses um so what great progress when they had electric brooms to run about on uh when this book was written so let's start again after my (laughs) my ridiculous little geopolitical wonder and i hope i've offended nobody anybody listening who works for shell bp or total or gulf jolly people at gulf you know i'm sure that you are i'm sure you are all working for the um renewables departments there not the not the drilling and killing side of things um when we arrived at the hall what a ridiculous when we arrived at the hall we found a much greater concourse than i had expected a line of electric browms or brooms broughams bruffums discharged their little cargoes of white-bearded professors while the dark stream of humbler pedestrians sure they can get uh, medicine for that, who crowded through the arched doorway showed that the audience would be popular as well as scientific. So some humble pedestrians had turned up, like those like those children's lectures that they used to do from the Royal Institute, didn't they, when they had a sort of well-known sort of scientist like, like the guy off, um, the bald guy, Heinz Wolf, yeah, I have done a little experiment with the, the static on this balloon. Yeah, well done, Heinz. Thank you. Is that the best you can come up with? No, he was entertaining, actually. Um, and now we've, we're reduced to performers like that popular astrolog- ast- astrologer, astronomer. What's his name? Um, astrophysics? Uh, Neil something? Is it Neil? I don't know. Gives me gives me a slight shudder. I'm not quite sure why. Not in a good way, I hasten to add. Who crowded through the arched doorway showed that the audience would be popular as well as scientific. Indeed, it became evident to us as soon as we had taken our seats that a youthful and even boyish spirit was abroad in the gallery and the back portions of the hall. Ah, the back portions. Yes, some back portions, please, with gravy. That would be splendid. Looking behind me, I could see rows of faces of the familiar medical student type. Yes, I suppose they are a curious lot, the old medical students, aren't they? They're they're always up for a laugh. And um, I was going to tell a gruesome anecdote then about a medical student I once knew who who, yes, they shared a cadaver at dissecting school. But I don't think I'll tell you because it's far too gruesome. And, um, you know, the behaviour of the audience at present was good-humoured. Let me, let, me, um, let me scroll back, scrolling back, scrolling back. Apparently the great hospitals had each sent down their contingent. So what would they be? St Mary's, Bart's, Guy's... Um, Guys and Barts, and uh, what other hospitals are there in London? I don't know. I suppose um, University College Hospital. Do they do medical students? I don't know. The behaviour of the audience at present was good-humoured but mischievous. Or that irritating pronunciation, mischievous. Oh, it was really mischievous. Mischievous. Scraps of popular songs were chorused with an enthusiasm which was a strange prelude to a scientific lecture. I'm a fire starter, they were chanting. And there was already a tendency to personal chaff, which promised a jovial evening to others. 
however embarrassing it might be to the recipients of these dubious honours. Oh dear, so the old students are a little bit, um, a little bit feisty. They, 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 they're, they're there to blow off steam. Possibly just to blow off, who knows, depending what they had in the canteen earlier. Thus, when old Dr Meldrum, with his well-known curly-brimmed opera hat, appeared upon the platform, there was such a universal query of, where did you get that hat? No, where did you get that tile? That he hurriedly removed it. I suppose that is the famous song, where did you get that hat? Where did you get that hat? Isn't it a lovely one? No, where did you get that hat? Where did you get that hat? Uh, can't remember the lyrics. And I used to know all those music hall songs, like the back of my hand. So he hurriedly removed his hat. God, this is slow. I think I'm going to retire from... And conceived it furtively under his chair. Concealed it furtively under his chair. When gouty Professor Wadley limped down to his seat... There were general affectionate inquiries from all parts of the hall as to the exact state of his poor toe. Gout was very much more popular in those days, or unpopular, which caused him obvious embarrassment. So poor old Professor Wadley, probably hitting the sherry too much of an evening, followed by, you know, um, red wine, dessert wine, port, all the wines, and maybe a couple of famous names, liqueurs to finish off, with a with a slice of cracker barrel on, on a Ritz. What a perfect end to a perfect evening. The greatest demonstration of all, however, was at the entrance of my new acquaintance. He's got his own entrance. Professor Challenger, when he passed down to take his place at the extreme end of the front row of the platform, such a yell of welcome broke forth when his black beard first protruded round the corner that I began to suspect Tarp Henry was right in his surmise, and that this assemblage was there not merely for the sake of the lecture, but because it had got rumoured abroad that the famous professor would take part in the proceedings. There was some sympathetic laughter on his entrance among the front benches of well-dressed spectators, as though the demonstration of the students in this instance was not unwelcome to them. That greeting was indeed a frightful outburst of sound. The uproar of the carnivora, or carnivora, cage, when the step of the bucket-bearing keeper is heard in the distance. I was just saying words then, but I have no idea what they meant. That greeting was indeed a frightful outburst of sound. The uproar of the carnivora cage when the step of the bucket-bearing keeper crammed with, um, with meaty titbits, I dare say, with a little bit of Mo Farah's um, corn mints, perhaps, is heard in the distance. There was an offensive tone in it, perhaps. And yet, mm, nasty, sticky, gluggy bit in my throat. You don't want to know that. It's a gluggy, nasty, sticky bit, which could be relieved by a fisherman's friend, as so many of the world's maladies should be. There was an offensive tone in it, perhaps, and yet, in the main, it struck me as mere riotous outcry. Oh, yeah, don't worry, it's just riotous outcry. You know, let them take the baby grand piano and the cocktail cabinet. Um, I'm sure they'll leave us the flat-screen TV and... Um, Ritz crackers and uh, cracker barrel and bunch of grapes. The noisy reception of one who amused and interested them rather than of one they disliked or despised. Yes, I get that. Challenger smiled with weary and tolerant contempt as a kindly man would meet the yapping of a litter of puppies. <laughs> Very good. Very good. He sat slowly down, blew out his chest passed his hand caressingly down his beard, passed his hand caressingly down his beard, mumbled, because I'm worth it, and looked with drooping eyelids and supercilious eyes at the crowded hall before him. The uproar of his advent had not yet died away when Professor Ronald Murray, what an attractive name Ronald is, the chairman and Mr Waldron, the lecturer, threaded their way to the front and the proceedings began. Professor Murray will, I am sure, excuse me if I say that he has the common fault of most Englishmen of being inaudible. Audible. 
Why on earth people who have something to say which is worth hearing should not take the slight trouble to learn how to make it heard is one of the strange mysteries of modern life. Modern life. Their methods are as reasonable as to try to pour some precious stuff from the spring to the reservoir through a non-conducting pipe, which could by the least effort be opened. Very good stuff, Arthur. Professor Murray made several profound remarks to his white tie and to the water carafe upon the table. We do hardly use the word carafe now, do we? In, uh, in English, it's a nice to have a carafe upon the table. As long as it's wiped with um, Clorox, lime-flavoured Clorox or Dettol or Sanitex every three seconds to make sure that we do not contract something unpleasant. Then he sat down and Mr Waldron, the famous popular lecturer, rose amid a general murmur of applause. It's always nice to be greeted with a general murmur. He was a stern, gaunt man, another gaunt man with a harsh voice and an aggressive manner. He's not using his pipes properly, but he had the merit of knowing how to assimilate the ideas of other men and to pass them on in a way which was intelligible and even interesting to the lay public with a happy knack of being funny about the most unlikely objects, uh, so that the procession of the equinox or the formation of, the, of a vertebrate became a highly humorous process as treated by him. Well, he's probably better than most comedians knocking about now, he said cattishly. It was a bird's-eye view of creation, as interpreted by science, which... In language always clear and sometimes picturesque, he unfolded before us. He told us of the globe, a huge mass of flaming gas flaring through the heavens. Excuse me while I have a little drink from my, from my carafe. Mm. Very pleasant. It's a warm day out there, you know. I'm sure you're aware. Uh, then he pictured the solidification Let's have another run at that, shall we? Then he pictured the solidification, the cooling, the wrinkling which formed the mountains, the steam which turned to water, the slow preparation of the stage upon which was to be played the inexplicable drama of life. On the origin of life itself, he was discreetly vague. That the germs of it could hardly have survived, the original roasting was, he declared, fairly certain. Therefore, it had come later. Had it built itself out of the cooling, inorganic elements of the globe? Very likely. Had the germs of it arrived from outside upon a meteor? Traffic. It was hardly conceivable. On the whole, the wisest man was the least dogmatic upon the point. We could not, or at least we had not succeeded up to date, in making organic life in our laboratories out of inorganic materials. The gulf between the dead and the living was something which our chemistry could not as yet bridge. But there was a higher and subtler chemistry of nature which, working with great forces over long epochs, might well produce results which were impossible for us. There the matter must be left. Interesting. And uh, oh, I'm tired now. I think I'd like a little, a little kip. Possibly with a, a glass of orange squash and, and an airport-sized Toblerone. That would go down a treat. Washing down those triangular munchy chunks with a few gulps of uh, tartrazine and um, chlorinated water. This brought the lecturer to the great ladder of animal life. Beginning low down in mollusks and feeble sea creatures, how dare you, then up rung by rung through reptiles and fishes, till at last we came to a kangaroo rat, a creature which brought forth its young alive, the direct ancestor of all mammals, and presumably, therefore, of everyone in the audience. No, no, from a sceptical student in the back row, who didn't want to be related, presumably, to a kangaroo rat. I don't mind myself. If the young gentleman in the red tie who cried, No, no, and who presumably claimed to have been hatched out of an egg, would wait upon him after the lecture, he would be glad to see such a curiosity. Laughter. 
It was strange to think that the climax of all the age-long process of nature had been the creation of that gentleman in the red tie. But that process had stopped. It doesn't even say that. But had the process stopped? Was this gentleman to be taken as the final type, the be-all and end-all of development? He hoped that he would not hurt the feelings of the gentleman in the red tie if he maintained that whatever virtues that gentleman might possess in private life, still the vast processes of the universe were not fully justified if they were to end entirely in his production. Evolution was not a spent force, but one still working, and even greater achievements were in store. Having thus, amid a general titter, played very prettily with his interrupter, the lecturer went back to his picture of the past, the drying of the seas, the emergence of the sandbank, the sluggish, sluggish, yes, the sluggish, viscous life which lay upon their margins, the overcrowded lagoons, the tendency of sea creatures to take refuge upon the mudflats, the abundance of food awaiting them, their consequent enormous growth. Hence, ladies and gentlemen, he added, that frightful brood of saurians, which still affright our eyes when seen in the Wielden or in the Solenhofen slates, but which were fortunately extinct long before the first appearance of mankind upon this planet. Question, boomed a voice from the platform. Mr. Waldron was a strict disciplinarian with a gift of acid humour, as exemplified upon the gentleman with the red tie, which made it perilous to interrupt him. But this interjection appeared to him so absurd that he was at a loss how to deal with it. So looks the Shakespearean who is in. Con so looks the Shakespearean who is confronted by a rancid Baconian or the astronomer who is assailed by a flat-earth fanatic. So flat-earth fanatics and electric cars were also very popular back then, and um, as, as is a disappointing fry-up, the uh, rancid Baconian, and eggs. He paused for a moment and then, raising his voice, repeated slowly the words, "'Which were extinct before the coming of man.' "'Question!' boomed the voice once more. Waldron looked with amazement along the line of professors upon the platform, guess who it is, until his eyes fell upon the figure of Challenger, who leaned back in his chair with closed eyes and an amused expression, as if he were smiling in his sleep. "'I see,' said Waldron, with a shrug. "'It is my friend Professor Challenger.' And amid laughter he renewed his lecture, as if this was a final explanation and no more need be said. But the incident was far from being closed. Whatever path the lecturer took amid the wilds of the past seemed invariably to lead him to some assertion as to extinct or prehistoric life, which instantly brought the same bull's bellow from the professor. The audience began to anticipate it and to roar with delight when it came. The packed benches of students joined in, and every time Challenger's beard opened, before any sound could come forth, there was a yell of, Question! from a hundred voices, and an answering counter-cry of, Order! Shame! from as many more. Waldron, though a hardened lecturer and a strong man, became rattled. He hesitated, stammered, repeated himself, got snarled in a long sentence, and finally turned furiously upon the cause of his troubles. "'This is really intolerable,' he cried, glaring across the platform. "'I must ask you, Professor Challenger, to cease these ignorant and unmannerly interruptions.' There was a hush over the hall. The students, rigid with delight at seeing the high gods on Olympus quarrelling among themselves— Challenger levered his bulky figure slowly out of his chair. Let me recreate that for you. I must in turn ask you, Mr. Waldron, he said, to cease to make assertions which are not in strict accordance with scientific fact. The words unloosed a tempest. Shame! Shame! Give him a hearing! Put him out! Shove him off the platform! Fair play! emerged from a general roar of amusement or... Execration. 
The chairman was on his feet, flapping both his hands and bleating excitedly. Professor Challenger, personal views later, were the solid peaks above his clouds of inaudible mutter. Professor Challenger, personal views later, were the solid peaks above his clouds of inaudible mutter. The interrupter bowed, smiled, stroked his beard, because he's worth it, and relapsed into his chair. Waldron, very flushed and warlike, continued his observations. Now and then, as he made an assertion, he shot a venomous glance at his opponent, who seemed to be slumbering deeply, with the same broad, happy smile upon his face. At last the lecture came to an end. I am inclined to think that it was a premature one, as the peroration was hurried and disconnected. The thread of the argument had been rudely broken, and the audience was restless and expectant. Waldron sat down, and after a chirrup from the chairman, Professor Challenger, hooting cars outside, sirens, maybe someone's ran off with half a pound of cheese from the co-op, Waldron sat down, and and after a chirrup from the chairman, it's his ringtone for tweets, Professor Challenger rose and advanced to the edge of the platform. In the interests of my paper, I took down his speech verbatim. Ladies and gentlemen, he began, amid a sustained interruption from the back. I get that sometimes. I beg pardon, ladies, gentlemen and children. I must apologise, I had inadvertently omitted a considerable section of this audience. Tumult during which the professor stood with one hand raised and his enormous head nodding sympathetically as if he were bestowing a pontifical blessing upon the crowd. I have been selected to move a vote of thanks to Mr Waldron for the very picturesque and imaginative address to which we have just listened. There are points in it with which I disagree, and it has been my duty to indicate them as they arose, but... Nonetheless, Mr. Waldron has accomplished his object well, that object being to give a simple and interesting account of what he conceives to have been the history of our planet. Popular lectures are the easiest to listen to, but Mr. Waldron, here he beamed and blinked at the lecturer, will excuse me when I say that they are necessarily both superficial and misleading, since they have to be graded to the comprehension of an ignorant audience. Ironical cheering. Popular lecturers are in their nature parasitic. Angry gesture of protest from Mr. Waldron. They exploit for fame or cash the work which has been done by their indigent and unknown brethren. One smallest new fact obtained in the laboratory, one brick built into the temple of science, far outweighs any second-hand exposition which passes an idle hour but can leave no useful result behind it. I put forward this obvious reflection, not out of any desire to disparage Mr. Waldron in particular, but that you may not lose your sense of proportion and mistake the acolyte for the high priest. At this point Mr. Waldron whispered to the chairman, who half rose and said something severely to his water carafe. But enough of this! loud and prolonged cheers. Let me pass to some subject of wider interest. What is the particular point upon which I, as an original investigator, have challenged our lecturer's accuracy? It is upon the permanence of certain types of animal life upon the earth. I do not speak upon this subject as an amateur. Oh, some people say amateur, you know, Ponzi sort of way. Nor, I may add, as a popular lecturer, but I speak as one whose scientific conscience compels him to adhere closely to facts when I say that Mr. Waldron is very wrong in supposing that because he has never himself seen a so-called prehistoric animal, therefore these creatures no longer exist. They are indeed, as he has said, our ancestors. They are indeed, as he has said, our ancestors, but they are, if I may use the expression, our contemporary ancestors who can still be found with all their hideous and formidable characteristics if one has but the energy and hardihood to seek their haunts. Creatures which were supposed to be Jurassic 
monsters who would hunt down and devour our largest and fiercest mammals, still exist. Cries of, Bosh! Prove it! How do you know? Question, how do I know? You ask me. I know because I have visited their secret haunts. I know because I have seen some of them. Applause, uproar, and a voice, Liar! Am I a liar? General hearty and noisy assent. Did I hear someone say that I was a liar? Will the person who called me a liar kindly stand up that I may know him? A voice, Here he is, sir! and an inoffensive little person in spectacles, struggling violently, was held up among a group of students. "'Did you venture to call me a liar?' "'No, sir, no,' shouted the accused, and disappeared like a jack-in-the-box. "'If any person in this hall dares to doubt my veracity, I shall be glad to have a few words with him after the lecture. "'Liar! Who said that?' Again. The inoffensive one, plunging desperately, was elevated high into the air. "'If I come down among you,' general chorus of "'Come, love, come,' which interrupted the proceedings for some moments, while the chairman, standing up and waving both his arms, seemed to be conducting the music. The professor, with his face flushed, his nostrils dilated, and his beard bristling, was now in a proper berserk mood. That's great, isn't it, when they say berserk? Is that a Viking sort of state of trance that allows them to go a pillaging and a, and a, a Roman and um, a despoiling. Every great discoverer has been met with the same incredulity. James Dyson, Alan Sugar, um, the person who came up with the space hopper. The sure brand of a generation of fools. When great facts are laid before you, you have not the intuition, the imagination which would help you to understand them. You can only throw mud at the men who have risked their lives to open new fields to science. You persecute the prophets. Galileo, Darwin, and I. Prolonged cheering and complete interruption. All this is from my hurried notes taken at the time, which give little notion of the absolute chaos to which the assembly had by this time been reduced. So terrific was the uproar that several ladies had already beaten a hurried retreat. Grave and, rev grave and reverend seniors... Is that a, a, a take-off of grave and reverend seniors or grave and... Reverend Senators from Othello, perhaps? Grave and reverend seniors seem to have caught the prevailing spirit as badly as the students. And I saw white-bearded men rising and shaking their fists at the obdurate professor. The whole great audience seethed and simmered like a boiling pot. The professor took a step forward and raised both his hands. There was something so big and so arresting and virile in the man that the clatter and shouting died gradually away before his commanding gesture and his masterful eyes. He seemed to have a definite message. They hushed to hear it. "'I will not detain you,' he said. "'It is not worth it. Truth is truth.' And the noise of a number of foolish young men, and I fear I must add of their equally foolish seniors, cannot affect the matter. I claim that I have opened a new field of science. You dispute it. Cheers. Then I put you to the test. Will you accredit one or more of your own number to go out as your representatives and test my statement in your name? Mr. Summerley, the veteran professor of comparative anatomy, rose among the audience, a tall, thin, bitter man, with the withered aspect of a theologian. He wished, he said, to ask Professor Challenger whether the results to which he had alluded in his remarks had been obtained during a journey to the headwaters of the Amazon made by him two years before. Professor Challenger answered that they had. Mr. Summerley desired to know how it was that Professor Challenger claimed to have made discoveries in those regions which had been overlooked by Wallace, Bates and other previous explorers of established scientific repute. 
Professor Challenger answered that Mr. Summerlee appeared to be confusing the Amazon with the Thames, that it was in reality a somewhat larger river, that Mr. Summerlee might be interested to know that with the Orinoco, which communicated with it, some 50,000 miles of country were opened up, and that in so vast a space it was not impossible for one person to find what another had missed. Mr. Summerlee declared with an acid smile that he fully appreciated the difference between the Thames and the Amazon, which lay in the fact that any assertion about the former could be tested, while about the latter it could not. He would be obliged if Professor Challenger would give the latitude and the longitude of the country in which prehistoric animals were to be found. Professor Challenger replied that he reserved such information for good reasons of his own, but would be prepared to give it with proper precautions to a committee chosen from the audience. Would Mr. Summerley serve on such a committee and test his story in person? Mr. Summerley, Yes, I will. Great cheering. Professor Challenger, Then I guarantee that I will place in your hands such material as we need... Let's take one more run at that and let's try and do it a little bit backed off because we're peaking all the time, but not in a good way. Then I guarantee that I will place in your hands such material as when... Then I guarantee that I will place in your hands such material as will enable you to find your way. It is only right, however, since Mr. Summerlee goes to check my statement, that I should have one or more with him who may check his... I will not disguise from you that there are difficulties and dangers. Mr. Summerley will need a younger colleague. May I ask for volunteers? It is thus that the great crisis of a man's life springs out at him. Could I have imagined when I entered that hall that I was about to pledge myself to a wilder adventure than had ever come to me in my dreams? But Gladys, was it not the very opportunity of which she spoke? Gladys would have told me to go. I had sprung to my feet. I was speaking, and yet I had prepared no words. Tarp Henry, my companion, was plucking at my skirts. Unusual party. And I heard him whispering, "'Sit down, Malone. Don't make a public ass of yourself.' At the same time, I was aware that a tall, thin man with dark, gingery hair a few seats in front of me was also upon his feet. He glared back at me with hard, angry eyes, but I refused to give way. "'I will go, Mr. Chairman. I will go, Mr. Chairman,' I kept repeating over and over again. "'Name! Name!' cried the audience. "'My name is Edward Dunn Malone. I am the reporter of the Daily Gazette.' I claim to be an absolutely unprejudiced witness. What is your name, sir? The chairman asked of my tall rival. I am Lord John Roxton. I've already been up the Amazon. I know all the ground. What a cocky devil. And have special qualifications for this investigation. Lord John Roxton's reputation as a sportsman and a traveller is, of course, world famous, said the chairman. He's also my nephew. At the same time, it would certainly be as well to have a member of the press upon such an expedition. Then I move, said Professor Challenger, that both these gentlemen... Ooh, a bit of a froggy throat. Let's have a cough. <clears throat> then I move, said Professor Challenger, that both these gentlemen be elected as representatives of this meeting to accompany Professor Summerlee upon his journey to investigate and to report upon the truth of my statements. And so, amid shouting and cheering, our fate was decided, and I found myself borne away in the human current which swirled towards the door, with my mind half-stunned by the vast new project which had risen so suddenly before it. As I emerged from the hall, I was conscious for a moment of a rush of laughing students down the pavement, and of an arm wielding a heavy umbrella which rose and fell in the midst of them. Then, amid a mixture of groans and cheers, Professor Challenger's electric broom slid from the curb, 
and I found myself walking under the silvery lights of Regent Street, full of thoughts of Gladys, oh, forget Gladys, she's horrible, and of wonder as to my future. Suddenly there was a touch at my elbow. I turned and found myself looking into the humorous, masterful eyes of the tall, thin man who had volunteered to be my companion on this strange quest. Mr. Malone, I understand, said he. We are to be companions, what? My rooms are just over the road, in the Albany. That's where Ernest and Jack live. Um, Algernon and Jack live, don't they, in uh, The Importance of Being Earnest. All the young dandy men lived over at the Albany. Perhaps you would have the kindness to spare me half an hour, for there are one or two things, for there are one or two things that I badly want to say to you. Well, once again, a, a glorious little outing, a glorious little... Oh, that's a nice noise. A glorious little uh, sojourn and uh, exploration, and uh, you know it's good to get the old, good to get the old, um, the old charabang back on the road. And um, and then looking at chapter six, we're not going to do that today because I need to lie down in a darkened room, and um, you know perhaps a perhaps a muffin with a little bit of scraping of. Uh, gentleman's relish scrape on scrape off and uh, just to bring me round perhaps a perhaps a cup of um, clipper organic tea would uh, would do me the world of good but there we are that's it that's that's me for the um, for the uh, foreseeable future there's a big harley davidson going down the uh, going down uh, the the main street the main drag and uh, yes i'm cooking tonight i don't know what i'm going to be doing Got a couple of little uh, salmon fillets from the uh, from the co-op around the corner. A little bit of brown basmati, and perhaps a a token vegetable uh, would be would be welcome too. And uh, a bit throaty, a bit throaty. I think uh, you know my my vocal production um, is is found wanting once again. But I hope um, those of you who who have um, you know tuned in, enjoyed this little uh, little reconnection with the lost world, and um, you know maybe who knows I might um, I might uh, manage to uh, to get another chapter done before the next inevitable lockdown. Uh, well, let's hope that doesn't happen. It depends depends how um, how we're feeling, how the vaccine's coming along. Tell them about the vaccine, Maxine, um, and uh, you know whether or not. Uh, you know, there's still trillions of dollars to be made out of it. Um, oh, aren't I cynical? Anyway, I don't mean it. I wish everybody good health, uh, a good cheer, good spirits, and um, good companionship, if you're allowed to have good companionship at the moment. You may not be, depending on your country of... of um, where you're domiciled. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Farewell. Thank you. Bye.